Scripture reading today is from the fifth chapter of Matthew, verses 21 through 26. The subject is anger. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Great to see all of you here. If you're a longtime attender or a new visitor with us, we're so glad you're here. I'm Nathan Boyette. I'm one of the pastors. And we are continuing in our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, which we will be for the rest of the winter and spring. This is a first of a few passages where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. These but I say to you passages are Jesus' expansion on what he said in Matthew 5.20, where he said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wants to show us all with abundant clarity how desperate our situation is. He wants to drive home the reality that our righteousness falls woefully short. So he's going to go through a number of Old Testament commands to help the people of his day and us to understand that while we might not have murdered, while we might not have committed adultery, we have done those things in our heart. And so we have failed to keep God's law. Jesus will go through several examples of Old Testament law, and each example will have three parts. First, the Old Testament law statement. Second, Jesus' explanation of the true intent and depth of those law statements, and third, practical application or illustration. One commentator said that to have a righteousness that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, disciples must first face the issue of their inner person, their inner heart. And that's what we're going to dig into today. Let me pray and then we'll dive right in. Father God, we thank you so much for your word that you have given it to us so that we might see clearly who we are, who you are, the wonderful, amazing grace provided in the gospel. Help us, Lord God, to see you with clarity. Holy Spirit, please be present today and speak through this sermon. In Jesus' name, amen. Recent societal surveys show that Americans are angrier than ever. Or at least we perceive ourselves and others to be angrier than previous generations. In a 2019 poll, 84% of respondents 
said that Americans are angrier than just a generation ago. In the same poll, 42% of those people said that they themselves were angrier in 2019 than they were in 2018. uh, Imagine if that's what they said in 2019, how they feel now in 2022. Probably much more of them would say they are angrier than just a year or two or three years ago. In a September 2021 poll, 74% of respondents said that they were very angry or somewhat angry about how things are going right now in the world and in their lives. From road rage to responses to the pandemic to politics to the way that loved ones treat us to a bad call by a ref during a football game to that one boss to that child who continues to give you so much trouble to that parent who just can't seem, you just can't seem to please, to the teacher who won't stop giving you such a difficult time. So many things elicit anger in our lives. Trust me, it was not fun to prepare this sermon for myself personally (laughs) as I thought about the many ways that I am angry. However, problems with anger are not new in our modern society. They have existed throughout history. Anger is what some people call the ultimate fracturing of human relationships. You see, humans were created to exist in harmony, to exist in mutual love, support. But anger breaks that harmony, breaks relationships. Anger and hatred fracture human relationships. Murder, the commandment we're looking at here today, is the ultimate fracture in that the relationship ceases to exist because of death. But all anger breaks relationships in various ways. One commentator, Kent Hughes, says, This text is one of the foundational passages on human relationships in the Bible. Jesus begins with the prohibition against the ultimate fracture of human relationship, murder, then supplies his own teaching, which goes far beyond the mere preserving of life itself to the preserving of human relationships. In this section of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes how a righteous person conducts his or her relationships. So as we reflect on this passage, we are looking at the question of, according to the Bible, what should be the foundational principle for human relationships? What should be the foundational principle for human relationships? When we get this foundational principle wrong, anger often results. The idea we're going to look at today, the answer to that question is that As those who have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus, we can live in peacemaking love. As those who have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus, we can live in peacemaking love. And we're going to dig into this through three points. The depths, the breadth, the opposite. The depths of anger, the breadth of anger, the opposite of anger. First, the depths. We see that the command to not murder is pointing to a deeper intent. Jesus is not offering an alternative to you shall not murder when he says, but I say to you. He's broadening, expanding, deepening that commandment to not murder. He's showing the deepest reality of what the Old Testament commandment was always intended to show us. So in verses 22 to 23, Jesus deepens the command to not murder by pointing to the heart attitude. A threefold series of images to make make Jesus' point about the depth of anger. First, he says, anger at a brother or sister makes one liable to judgment. Second, he says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And third, he says, whoever says, you fool, 
will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, this is not an actual progression in both severity and severity of action and severity of punishment. This is merely Jesus trying to drive home the point through a threefold statement that the depth of anger is serious, that anger is as good as murder, because murder and anger both have the same inner heart condition. Murder and anger both come from the same place. One is just merely an outward action, though grave and serious, but the other has the same heart attitude at its root. Jesus is teaching that being angry and insulting another person made in God's image, not just the outward physical act of murder, is wrong and worthy of judgment. The command to not murder is deeper than mere physical harm, as horrible and horrific as that violent act of murder is, anger and cursing others in our heart is the root that leads to murder. All of us are murderers in our hearts. As one commentator, Sinclair Ferguson, said, we are murderers without knives. We murder with our words, our thoughts towards others. In Proverbs 18.21, a thousand years before Jesus spoke, the proverb writer said, death and life are in the power of the tongue. With our words, we can give somebody life or we can cause them to feel like they're dying inside. Jesus wants to widen and deepen our understanding of God's law. Not only is murder against God's law, but the very thought and inner heart of anger is against God's law. If hatred and anger can lead to murder, then hatred is culpable too. We are just as guilty when we have hatred and anger towards other people created in God's image. 1 John 3.15, John, the beloved disciple who walked with Jesus for years, says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You see, God is not concerned with mere outward acts. That is what we're going to see again and again in the Sermon on the Mount. He is concerned with our inner heart attitude, which is why we have named this sermon series the heart of the matter. One might say, well, not all anger is sin or unrighteous, right? You know, Jesus himself was angry. Yes. But you see, as we look at the times when Jesus was angry, his anger was so often for the sake of others, for their benefit, or for the sake of God, his Father's glory and good. Jesus was never angry for himself. He was never angry for the mistreatment that he went under. He was angry for the sake of others. In John 2, when Jesus saw the money changers making a mockery of the temple worship and preventing all types of people from worshiping his Father, he responded in anger. Because they were dishonoring his father. Because they were keeping people from coming and worshiping him. Which is what we were created to do. This was righteous anger. And this righteous anger, it is possible for us. It is. But it's only when we have anger on behalf of another. Or on behalf of God. That this type of righteous anger is possible. But honestly, for the most of us, this type of anger is verily in view, right? Our anger is not righteous, most likely, and rarely is it for the sake of others. Typically, we are angry for our own sake, for the fact that our rights have been hurt, for the fact that we have been wronged. And we need to hear the repeated biblical 
command and charge to not be angry. Paul in Ephesians 4, be angry and do not sin. He's saying you can have righteous anger, but don't allow it to take you into sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. James, the brother of our Lord Jesus, said, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Proverbs 29, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. What are some of the inner thoughts that lead someone to the depths of anger that we've unpacked here? What is at the root of it? Often, it's the view of another individual as worthless. It's viewing people with contempt as less than human. It's ignoring that they have been beautifully created in the image of God. In verses 22 and 23, the word insult here could be translated as saying to another individual, you moron, moron, fool. These two words show a view of those created in God's image as worthless, contemptible. I love the novel Silence, written by Shusaku Endo, a Japanese Christian, and he has one of his characters reflect, sin is not what is usually thought to be, It is not to steal and tell lies. Sin is for one man to walk brutally over the life of another and to be quite oblivious to the wounds he has left behind. Sin is for one man to walk brutally over the life of another and to be quite oblivious to the wounds he has left behind. That is an apt description of anger and hatred that is so often in our hearts. God doesn't make trash. He has not made trash. He makes beautiful image bearers. And he doesn't trash what he makes. He saves it and redeems it. That's the beautiful message of the gospel. Who are we to look on other individuals and call trash what God has called precious? What he sent his son Jesus to die for. At the depths of anger is the reality that we don't view other humans in the light that our king and creator and savior has. As precious, worthy of the death of his own son, the Lord Jesus. When we think of this depths of anger, maybe some of us are drawn to the first recorded murder in the Bible, Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. After Adam and Eve sinned and they were sent out of the garden, they had sons, Cain and Abel, And Cain and Abel worked the land. They had animals and they gave offerings to the Lord. Cain offered the fruits of the field and Abel offered from his flock. And we read in Genesis 4 how the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The story of Cain and Abel illustrates the fact that anger and murder have been with us from the beginning, since sin entered the world. And it shows that the primary issue was anger. It was sin. It was already present in Cain's heart before he even murdered his brother. It was festering there. God warned him, it's crouching at your door, ready to consume you. 
Our examination of the depths of anger should cause us to evaluate our own hearts. It should cause us to dig deep inside. Yes, none of us here have most likely ever murdered anyone. But do we grow externally and internally angry with others? Do we say words of contempt and hatred to people in our hearts, both those who may have wronged us and those who have done nothing wrong? If we do, then confession and repentance is in order. Jesus' teaching on murder and anger brings absolute clarity to the depths of our need for his righteousness. We need him. We all are murderers because of the hatred and anger in our heart. But I would encourage each of us to examine our anger issues more in depth. We all struggle with anger in different ways for different reasons. Each one of us has different things that give rise to anger and contempt of others in our hearts. What is at the basis of your anger? Take time to examine it, to think about it, to confess and repent of it. The Westminster Larger Catechism does an excellent job of thinking theologically about the Ten Commandments. And in this document, which I'd encourage you to go read, because it's very long and we don't have time to unpack it all, it takes the command to do not murder, and it takes the whole biblical witness and unpacks how it's much more broad than just the physical violent act. Listen to just a few of the things touched when answering the question of what is contained in the command to not murder, it says sinful anger, hatred, envy, desire of revenge, all excessive passions, distracting cares, immoderate use of meat, drink, labor, and recreations, provoking words, oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding, and whatsoever else tends to the destruction of life of any other person. And that's only half of it, at least, if not a quarter. We need to sit in the depths of this anger and realize how it's much deeper than we realize. We may, ne- we may have never murdered anyone, and we may think that we have our anger under pretty good control, but do we view others as precious and created in God's image, worthy of value and respect, or do we treat them with contempt in our hearts? Dan Dorani, writing on this passage, says, Because the thought he is worthless can lead to murder, it is liable to judgment, even if the action never follows. Neglect of the hungry, the homeless, and the chronically poor can be similar. Yes, there are dangers in endless, unqualified giving. It causes dependency and fails to instill responsibility. But sometimes we neglect the poor because we judge them worthless. Sometimes we neglect the poor because we judge them worthless. It's not just true of the poor. In other ways, we neglect individuals because we view them with contempt. We don't view them as preciously created in God's image. We should treat each and every individual as beautifully created in God's image, worthy of respect and love. The second thing we see in Jesus' explanation is that the command to not murder needs to be more broadly understood than we typically understand it. There's a breadth of relationships here that should surprise us, and there's a breadth of responsibility for others that should surprise us. Whether we admit it or not, we typically think of murder or anger in terms of those we like, or at least those who are not our enemies. We feel bad when we get angry at a spouse or a child. We feel bad when we get angry at a loved one or somebody that we're a good friend with. It's easy for us to excuse anger we have towards an enemy or a stranger. But here in this passage, 
Jesus says, no, the breadth of relationships in which we should not murder or approach people with internal hatred and contempt is much broader. It's the entire breadth of relationships from close loved ones to dire enemies. This can be seen in Jesus progressing from brother in verses 22 and 23 to accuser in verse 25. The brother here could be understood as relatives, siblings, parents, spouses, other family, fellow believers, friends. But the word accuser here is only an adversary. Those who is opposed to us, those who hate us. Everyone in between is included, strangers, acquaintances, people we don't really know. There's a breadth of relationships in view here. We are not to be angry with anyone, whether they are a close friend or an enemy. Furthermore, we typically only assume responsibility for our own sinful attitudes and actions. But Jesus points to a breadth of responsibility here, not just for our own sinful attitudes and actions, but for others. Look with me in verse 23 to 24. He says, so if you offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. He doesn't say if you remember that you have something against your brother, your brother has something against you. Go, be reconciled with your brother. In verse 25, in Jesus' illustration of being on the way to the court with an accuser, There is no mention of whether or not you are in the right or wrong. That's immaterial to Jesus' point. The simple fact that the human relationship is fractured, broken, that is wrong. And reconciliation should be sought. That's the point of Jesus' illustration in verse 25. We could take this to an unhealthy degree, of course, and be obsessed with thinking of all who have wrongs against us or who we might have wronged and just become so obsessed. But I think what Jesus is trying to produce in us is a desire and a readiness to be reconciled with anyone at any time. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 12, 18, where he says, if possible, as so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We should have an attitude in ourselves which is ready and willing to reconcile with anyone at any point. So we see the breadth of the command to not murder. We are to value life and flourishing of human relationships everywhere and in everyone, not just in ourselves, but in the hearts of others, not just with those we have some connection to, but even with strangers and enemies. We are called to promote the flourishing of human relationships everywhere and in everyone. We are called to go far beyond the traditional understanding of what it means to avoid murder and anger. We are to have a breadth of relationships in view and a breadth of responsibility in view. In 1884, the Baltimore Orioles were playing a baseball game with the Boston Bean Eaters. The Bean Eaters were, are now the Atlanta Braves. As a result of a rough play, one of the bean eaters jumped up and punched the Orioles' third baseman. This resulted in a dugout clearing brawl that overflowed not just to the two teams, but into the stands where fans were throwing down. It was a huge fight. Reports vary now over 100 years later, but many surmise that as a result of the fight in the stadium, a fire was started underneath the stands which then spread to the surrounding neighborhoods and burned down over 200 buildings, making nearly 2,000 people homeless, causing $7 million of damage 
in today's money. The quick temper of one man as a result of a rough play occasioned huge, broad consequences. Our anger can have a huge, broad, far-reaching impact. That's why the Bible seeks to engender a concern for anger in ourselves and in others. You might say, well, that's his issue. That's his anger. It has nothing to do with me. But this simple sports illustration shows us no. Anger has far-reaching implications and impacts. The Bible tells us that our anger is not just a matter for ourselves. It's not just a matter for him over there. In Genesis 4, 9, when the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Cain responded, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The resounding answer is yes. We are our brothers and sisters' keepers because flourishing is for all, for every human being. God desires everyone to be blessed, not just me and mine. Everyone should be in our purview and concern. As those who have been saved and loved by the Lord Jesus, we are to move beyond self-interest and towards concern for all people, from our closest relations to our enemies. We're to be concerned enough for others that we even seek to prevent anger and hatred in them, if possible. What does this look like? Let's dig into it in our final point, the opposite of anger. Finally, the implicit question in all of this is that if we are not to respond to human relationships with anger and contempt for others, then how are we to interact? The original question, what should be the foundational principle for human relationships? It should be peacemaking love, the opposite of anger. In verse 23 to 24, we see the priority of reconciliation even over worship. We see a man at the altar ready to give his sacrifice. And Jesus says, if you are going to the house of God to worship and you are unreconciled with a brother, anger in your heart, anger in his heart, go. Worship is unimportant at that point. Go be reconciled with him. James wrote about this as well in James 3. He says, the tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Reconciliation, right human relationships take a priority even over what we're doing here on this Sunday morning. In verse 25, we see the priority of reconciliation with an enemy, even over self-defense in court. That's to be a priority even before defending your own rights. What does it mean to reconcile with another? It means to make peace. The root of reconciliation has to be a deep and broad understanding of the value of other individuals created in God's image, saved by the blood of Jesus. This deep and broad understanding must be accompanied by a deep love for those God has created. The root of reconciliation also has to lie in the reality of how much we individually have been forgiven. We know the reality that we come to Jesus with nothing in our hands to offer. Every individual is the same. Under the curse of sin, desperately in need of Jesus' salvation, we all need to be forgiven so we can all forgive one another. Both of these illustrations of the worship and the going to the law court point to the priority of relationships with other humans 
over our own rights? Do we often think of relationships as more important than defending our rights? I don't think we do. John wrote a lot about this. In 1 John 3, he's, if you want to turn there, we're going to spend a little bit of time in 1 John 3, 11 to 18. Listen as I read it. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Do you hear the refrain in that passage? Love, love, love. Hatred is murder, John says. Love in word and action is the call that has been placed on Christians from the beginning. We are called to the opposite of murderous hatred, contempt, and anger. We are called to peacemaking love that springs forth into action and care for those around us. One thing that's so interesting about the book of Genesis is that it has two stories of broken, fractured relationships as bookends. On the front end, you have Cain and Abel. On the back end, you have Joseph and his brothers. Joseph is the opposite of Cain and Abel. When his brothers had so grievously wronged him, he did not seek revenge, but rather he responded in peacemaking love. When Jacob, their father, died and Joseph's brothers were so scared that Joseph would seek revenge for the wrong that they had done against him. They, they came up with this tale to tell Joseph that their father had wanted him to forgive them. Joseph responds like this. He says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. We see the opposite of anger here, but peacemaking love and concern, even for those who grievously wronged him. This was possible only because Joseph trusted the sovereign Lord of the earth and his goodness and his control. This is what Paul calls us to do in Romans 12. He says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's, that's a challenging call, no doubt. Lots of events in life could give rise to anger or hatred or contempt in others. We're all thinking of different situations and circumstances, maybe this week, maybe today, that have given rise to anger and hatred in our heart. But how do we cultivate a heart which will respond to the opposite of anger? How do we grow a heart that will respond in peacemaking love? 
I don't share this with you as somebody who has arrived, but as somebody who's on the pilgrimage with you. First, we need to learn to trust the Lord, as Joseph did, that God is the one that's sovereignly in control, that he's superintending everything for the good of his people, for your good, because you are a beloved child of God. First, trust the Lord and his sovereignty. Second, we need to learn to view others as God views them, precious, valuable, created in God's image. Third, we need to prioritize restoring fractured human relationships which means to be available and ready to reconcile. If you know that you've wronged somebody, go to them. If you think they've wronged you, go to them. Not to somebody else, to them. This won't be possible with all people for a variety of reasons. And we'll figure that out in wisdom as it goes along. Fourth, we need to seek to de develop and cultivate the spirit and attitude of Christ within ourselves, which sacrificed for the sake of others. Paul, writing in Ephesians 4, said, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let that be what drives us to be kind to others. The fact that God has treated us with such kindness. And fifth, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit, confessing and repenting when we fail, because we will fail, at responding in peacemaking love, trusting in the gospel that the fact that our sins are covered and forgiven, those we committed, those we will commit, are all paid for. If we get the foundational principle of human relationships wrong, then we will often respond in anger to others. But if we see human relationships as amazingly, beautifully created by God for our good, then by the grace of Jesus, we can approach each other in peacemaking love. All of this should cause us to see that we clearly fall short of Jesus' statement in Matthew 5.20. Our righteousness falls woefully short. We are all murderers. We all have anger and hatred and contempt in our hearts. We are in desperate need. However, our Father and Maker has provided a way. Jesus lived the life that we could not. He died for our sins. He rose again in victory. And in trusting in him, his death is our death. His life is our life. And we are forgiven. Standing before God the Father in his righteousness, not our own sinfulness. If that is true, if you have trusted and believed in that, then he has graciously given you his spirit that dwells now inside of you and will help you to live a life of peacemaking love? Will we fail? Yes. Will we grow angry and still struggle with thoughts of contempt and hatred? Yes. But our hope is not in perfection now, but that we will make progress. Slow, stumbling progress, yes, but that we will one day ultimately have all of our sins removed completely. We will no longer struggle with contempt for others but one day we'll be finally fully restored, living in our God's presence, in these relationships that we have started now that will grow and develop in ways that we can't even imagine. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you, Lord Jesus, came so that we could see the many ways we so desperately fail, the many ways that we when we think we are righteous, when we can say with pride, I've never murdered, you come and you show us 
that we are murderers at heart. When we think that we have something to offer, you show us that we don't. But even still, you view us with love, compassion, grace, mercy. You're a God of infinite love who saves us from ourselves. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died in our place, that your life is our life. Thank you that in you and in the spirit you've provided, we can begin to make stumbling steps towards peacemaking love. Be with us this week, Lord God. Help us to change our attitudes, perceptions of others. If we, even now, have relationships that are unreconciled, touch our hearts, Lord God. Drive us out of here with a hunger to be reconciled with our brothers and sisters. And pray for conversations to happen this week that bring healing. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.